Good morning, this is Dr. Alan Hedberg and nice to have you join me again today on the Psychology Report. You know, today I'd like to shift a little bit into kind of more of a sociological uh, topic, but one that uh, is extremely important as we move forward as America. Today we live in a world where there's a great deal of emphasis upon making America a great again indicating that America was great at one time, but that somehow it's fallen off the cliff. And now it needs to be put back up. And we need to now make America great, and we all need to do our part, and we all need to contribute. So I'd like to take you back to um, the death of President Kennedy. And President Kennedy died in 1964, and of course, immediately following that, his vice president became the president, that was Lyndon Johnston, Johnson, Lyndon Johnson from Texas. Now in 1964, as he became the president, Johnson then gave his State of the Union address to the American people in the Congress. And what he declared was an unconditional war on poverty in America. So he committed himself to the unconditional war on poverty indicating that if somehow we could address this issue of poverty, America would be great. Now maybe in his mind it would be great again, but certainly America would be great. Well, what has happened over the last 50 years since the declaration of war on poverty took place? Well, let me just give you a couple figures and then we'll take a look at some of the more detailed figures. Over the past 50 years, starting with Johnson, 1964 onward, $22 trillion were spent on anti-poverty programs. Now that's $22 trillion. That's about a half a trillion a year just spent on anti-poverty programs. And when you look at that, that's more than our national debt at the present time. Almost 10% greater than our federal national debt at this time. And it's about 300% higher and more than the total cost of every U.S. military war. So we have really taken on a major undertaking here. So his idea here of an unconditional war on poverty really meant war. But now you have to take a look at really what did it ever produce. You know, if we're putting in $22 trillion, did it produce anything, you know, at all? Well, let's go back and look at some of the uh, more detailed figures now about poverty, and let's see where we are with it, okay? Now, what's the threshold of poverty? When is a person at the threshold of poverty? or below the threshold of poverty. Well, in 1964, the poverty line was defined at about $3,000. And if you consider people who are near poverty, they were, just, they were just above the poverty line, it'd be about $4,000. That was the poverty threshold, $4,000 in 1964. So think of 1964, $4,000 was the threshold. Now, fast forward into 2014, and what do we have here now? The threshold at that time was considered $24,000, 
So that's $224,000. And if you consider the people who were near threshold, just above it, but near poverty, it was $30,000. So our poverty rate, our poverty level, I should say, our poverty threshold is considered somewhere between twenty-five dollars and $30,000. Some states vary, I guess, a little bit what they will identify. But that's where we then include the people who were under the poverty line back in 64 and now in 14, 2014. Well, what's the number of poor people that we have in our day today as compared to what we had in 2014? The number of people who are in the anti-poverty program. And um, there were over 10 million poor people and more than 1 million more than near poor people in 19, uh, I mean, pardon me, 2014 than there were in 1964. So it has increased considerably. Let's put it this way. In 1964, 19% of the population was at the poverty level and 26% of the people were at that poverty level or just near the poverty level. 26% of the population. And now, and let's go forward, 2014, what is it? It's 14% of the people who are in the poverty level, but if you can include the people who are near the poverty level, it's 19%. So, if you look at the poverty level from 64 to 2014, we have decreased the number of people in the poverty level on a percentage basis by 4%. So, for $22 trillion, we have decreased those in poverty by 4% of the population. I wonder if that's an equitable payoff. I'm wondering if Johnson would consider that to have been a war that he won. I'm wondering if Congress would be pleased to know that when they voted in their monies for different programs, that the result would be 4% of the population having a decreased level of poverty. Now, if you just add those that are a little bit close to the poverty line. It was 26% in 1964, and it was 19% in 2014. So that's a decrease of about 4%, isn't it? 6, 6%, 6%, almost 6%. So for all that money, 22 million, the best we can say, this would be the best, including people in poverty and near poverty, that we've decreased the poverty rate by 6%. $22 trillion. So that's what we've spent. And um, that's what we've gotten for it. So poverty is still with us. Poverty is strong. And all the monies that have been spent, taking from the rich and giving it to the poor, taking it from the near wealthy, and giving it to the poor, taking it from the common, average people, and giving it to the poor. We have decreased the poverty rate at the most by 6%, somewhere between 4 to 6%. Now, if we look at the um, actual welfare spending, 
you know, we spent uh, on a per capita basis about uh, 16%, I mean, uh, $16,000 per person. That's, that's what was spent, about $16,000 per person in the year 2014. That's if you even it out. Some people got more, some people got left, but on a per capita basis, you take all the money it was spent, it's about $16,000 per person. In 64, it was about $2,000 uh, per person. So you can just see the increased level of spending that we went through just to try to address this issue of poverty. Now, during that same period of time, it's an interesting uh, development what happened to the family, you know, during this time. So obviously, that's what the level of poor is, but what happened to the family during that time? Well, in 1964, 66% of the families were what we call traditional families, a mother, a father, and children living in a home together, living in an apartment together, living in a condo together, but living in a unit, as a unit, together, mother, father, and children, 66% of the people in 1964. In 2014, that decreased to 36%, about half. 36% of the population now lives as a unit, as a traditional family, mother, father, and children in a home, in an apartment, in a condo, together as a unit. 36% versus 66%. About 30% change, by the way. 30% change. Now, if you look at the number of people who are fatherless, let's just take the fatherless. Those that have, you know, a mother and a child or children in a home. In 2014, the fatherless homes were 20%. Today, they're 34%. So we've seen an increase of 14% there. If you look at the idea of no family whatsoever, that is, they're just living independently with no children. In 2014, it was 14%. In 2000, pardon me, that was 1964. In 1964, it was 14%. In 2014, it was 30%. We've doubled it. And having no family at all. Now, that's an important piece of data to, to consider. If people live their life in the absence of children, and by the way, about 15% of the population do not have children. Um, if you have no children, when you get older, you're kind of an elder orphan. Who's going to take care of you? Well, you become dependent upon the state then. It's harder to become self-sufficient totally all the way through life. So there's a high, in degree, a high degree of interest in becoming part of the welfare system and being part of the state system and being cared for you know, by the state. So having a home and living together with somebody or married with somebody and having no children has certain consequences for the elder years of, the, of that particular individual or that couple. Who's going to care for you when you're older? That's traditionally the role that children play in our lives as individuals. So, when we go back and look at the number of people who are working, uh, just try to make things work. Uh, we've now seen mothers go back into the workforce because this is the way that you increase your income, you increase your chance of getting above the poverty line, and you increase your chance of living 
a wholesome life and a full life and a life that has a certain degree of comfort and enjoyment or happiness if you will if you, if you can buy it so mothers in the workforce have increased enormously in these years in the 1964s and back in those years it was about 35 percent of the mothers that were in the workforce today 2015 it's 74 percent of the mothers that are in the workforce in other words 75 percent approximately of mothers have children married single mothers living trying to make it are in the workforce itself so we either have a father and mother working together or we only have a mother working just to make it on her own but the children are at risk research has shown that if you have a home in which mother and father are living and we have children and mother and father together both work 40 hours each that's 80 hours of work in the course of the week now that doesn't count travel but if you add travel to that that's another uh, several hours but that's 80 hours a week research has shown that children in those homes have trouble they have trouble academically they have trouble socially they have trouble with our criminal system they have, they have trouble in their social system and their social relationships and they have trouble emotionally they have trouble spiritually those children struggle in life where mother and father both work 80 hours now in some cases that's a requirement you have to work that many hours just to make enough money to make it work you know for the family well you take a risk the children are the one that take the risk on the other hand if a mother and father together work a total of 60 hours one works 40 one works 20 or they both work 30 or however that might work out we know that children from those homes shake a little bit are a little bit at risk but they generally do fairly well they have trouble in school they have trouble academically they may have trouble socially they may have a little bit of scrape with the law but the problems are not severe as they are when both parents are working 40 hours a week on the other hand if the mother and father in a home totally work 40 hours a week they both work 20 or one works 40 one doesn't work at all one's in the home could be the mother the father in the home but 40 hours of work in, in a week those children do quite well those children tend to thrive those children tend to succeed and do well and avoid the problems of social difficulty and academic difficulty and emotional difficulty and legal difficulty and so on now it isn't a guarantee but there's a tendency there's a pattern of uh, children in those types of homes and the result of what their behavior patterns are like outside of the home so how do we add this up the war on poverty very expensive half a trillion dollars a year half a trillion dollars a year we've spent in the last 50 years and for that we've gotten about four to six percent of the population who are less now in poverty than they would have been otherwise so we have only gained about four to six percent I'm going to call it about a five percent uh, reduction in our poverty level as a result of that kind of money and that kind of anti-poverty program that the government has spent we've had more people now who rely on the government 
who are dependent upon the government, not only during their working years, but also during their elder years. So the government is picking up a tab enormously, and that isn't even included in these, these figures, the result of this program. And we have homes that are shaky. We have homes that have been required to uh, have both parents work and uh, where there's been this difficulty of being uh, independent, children being independent, parents being independent. Taxation is going to have to be addressed. How we're going to deal with taxation and giving breaks to families and help them uh, increase the amount of uh, spending money they have and we're going to have to address the issue of daycare. We're going to have to issue some kind of a program that will encourage work at a lower age level. Now you, you have to be a certain age to work even and we need to lower that rate so children can uh, when they're capable of doing certain jobs they can work and uh, encourage that kind of work you know, to take place. Taxation of, pe of all people, whether they get their money from the workforce or they get their money from welfare, there needs to be a taxation on that kind of money. We need to have responsible citizens. We need to have people who are married be an example in our community. We need churches to stand up and advocate for marriages and improve marriages and encourage strong marriages, workshops and seminars and ways that it can be done. We need communities to uh, come together and do all they can to strengthen and maintain and encourage family life. Place a value on family life. Put a premium on family life. And just help each other in, a, in our family life. We need to address this in, in a very strong way. Now, no one president can address it. No one president can solve it. If anybody tried to solve it, it was Johnson in 1964 and his anti-war and poverty. But he didn't do it. This is a failed program. This is a program that was expensive and produced little. And uh, that's what the government does sometimes. So we need accountability. We need accountability in our, our representatives so that they can stand up and say, we're going to help people, but in a positive way. And the way that you do it positively, we help people help themselves. You've got to help people help themselves. You have to put incentives there. You have to put workshops. You have to put training centers out there. You have to have ways in which people can generate income and move up the ladder and improve themselves through the workforce. So do what you can. Pass the word. Give thought to this. Look at your own family life. Look at your own income level. Look how you're spending time with your family. Are you strengthening the family? Are you putting your family at risk? Are you working too many hours together as a couple? Take a look at this and see how you might come forward and put your family on a more solid basis than perhaps they are at the present time. This has been the Psychology Report and glad you joined me today. And um, I refer you to my website, booksbyhedberg.com. Booksbyhedberg.com. number of books there, I have one on Doctor, Teach Me to Parent. It's a parenting book and in there ways in which parents can deal with this issue of income shortage and uh, trying to build strong family life independent of how much money they may have or not have. But how do you build strong family life and how do you help your children get through some of these tough times in their lives? 
So uh, that's a book that would be well worth picking up. Doctor, teach me to parent. Get my website, booksbyhedberg.com. Nice to have you join me today, and thanks so much. Have a good day today. Bye-bye.